This is the Dividend Health Checkup. Hi, I'm DGI Guy, and this is the Dividend Health Checkup. Along with Dr. Dividend, we are bringing you a weekly show that is dedicated to learning as much as we possibly can from investors who are primarily focused in the dividend investing space. This week's article of the week comes to us from Ben Carlson, who's a contributor over on Yahoo Finance. The article is titled, 10 Revelations I Had About Money in My 30s. Now, Normally, I try and stay away from these list-type articles, but this one has some decent reminders. I'm not going to repeat the article here, but let me just pick out one as an example. I'm going to take his number seven, where he writes, Experiences resonate more than material possessions. That rings true for me, as I find I spend more of my leisure dollars on activities as opposed to things. I also find that to be true for many others that I know. So there's two sides to this article. One is the things we do with our money, and the other is how can we turn this into investing ideas? So knowing people spend more money on experiences, how does that impact where you look for stocks that might potentially be better in the long run? I'm not going to throw out any ideas, but that's just sort of a concept, something interesting for you to look at. Okay, let's move on now to Dr. Dividend's interview, part two, with Ben Reynolds. We've all made mistakes. Uh, I call them learning experiences, and boy, I've had a few of them. But what have been some of your uh, learning experiences over your young investing career, and what did you learn from it, and what did, what brought you to say, boy, I'm going to make sure I don't do that again? <laughs> well, I'll tell you my, my biggest mistake I made. Uh, people will probably laugh about it, but it was – I was just learning about value investing and, you know, how important the price to earnings ratio was. So I'm looking around and I see a company that has a price to earnings ratio, I think it was around three. I was like, oh my God, this is the deal of the century. I, how could I go wrong and have to buy this stock? Uh, it was called China Sky One Medical. And it turned out to basically be a fake company. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. It was, you know, you don't, if something looks far too good to be true, it probably is. And, don't believe everything a company's management says, especially when there's a lot of reasons not to believe it. So that was one very early in my investing career that I learned a lot from and changed how I invest in some ways. Is there anything more from, I, I, you mentioned before that your universe went from 185 stocks down to 180. Uh, those five companies that recently, you know, got voted off the island. Mm -hmm. Were you invested in any of those? Were you close to investing any of those? And what was the red flag that said, let me stay away because I feel something, something's bad is going to happen here. Uh, I don't, I think the number was five that fell off, but four of them never ranked highly at all and were never recommended. The one that was, was ConocoPhillips and I wasn't personally invested in it, although it was coming up in one of the ones I was going to buy, and then it fell in the rankings. Uh, but with ConocoPhillips, the reason it cut its dividend is – well, the reason it had such a long dividend history was it was a diversified oil corporation. It had downstream operations, 
chemical operations upstream. And when they spun off their downstream and midstream and chemical operations and ConocoPhillips became a standalone upstream company, um, in my ranking or in my universe, ConocoPhillips is still in the universe. But when you look at the fund, what the business fundamentally is, it changed a great deal and became much riskier. And that was something that I didn't think about at the time enough. And I should have put more emphasis on this company has shed all its business units that do well when oil prices get low. What will happen if oil prices get low? And, you know, oil prices collapsed and ConocoPhillips cut its dividend because it can't pay it anymore because it's all upstream. And just for people that may be listening and don't understand what upstream or integrated, when you think of an integrated company, you can think of ExxonMobil, which has they unearth the oil, they find the oil, and then they process the oil and refine it and then eventually sell it. And what ConocoPhillips ended up doing was saying upstream is looking for the oil, bringing the oil out of the earth, and then they split off or they divided the company to the other end, uh, which processed it and sold it. So what Ben is saying is they went from being one big company and eventually split themselves up into three smaller companies. Correct. So, right. So now, so now the, you look at those numbers and the numbers are going to be completely different because it's not the same story anymore. It's not the same company. So that's where, but I know that, you know, when they spun off a uh, Phillips 66, that ended up doing extremely well as an individual entity. I, I, I'm not sure until recently, I haven't looked at, at the stock personally. So, you know, I'm curious what the, what the, what it would have been if you held on to both parts of the, of the company up until the recent, you know, six to 12 months. That's a, that's a good question. And I would imagine you'd be up overall, but that's just me guessing. And I don't know. Um, but yes, Phillips 66 PSX is the ticker has done really well. And that's their primarily their downstream operations, their refining operations. Uh, and that actually currently ranks in the top 20 stocks using the eight rules. And it has for a little while. It's kind of a strange, strange occurrence with that company. Like oil prices get low and it, it shouldn't really affect their share price too much, but their share price did fall some for no reason just because it's attached to like the idea of, oh, it's an oil corporation, oil prices are low, Phillips 66 PSX shares need to go down. <laughs> but there was no fundamental reason for that, and their earnings have been strong throughout. That brings up an interesting question, Ben, because you mentioned that you look at companies that have a long history of giving dividends, preferably raising dividends, but now Phillips 66 was a spun-off company. So... Are you using the historical basis of the previous company to continue within that universe? Yes, that's correct. And that's, that's, uh, what I was talking about with the danger of with ConocoPhillips. Um, I, I use whenever a company splits, I count the dividend history for both split companies, like the parent company's history transfers to the split companies. Uh, and, in a lot of cases, that makes sense. Like, for example, when Philip Morris Corporation split into Philip Morris International, Altria, Kraft, and eventually Mondelez, and, you know, it became all these different companies. These are all 
ultra high quality businesses that should have a long dividend history. And I think they do, especially Altria and Philip Morris International. So I, I think it's in most cases correct to include that dividend history. Okay. So let's get to your final two rules, um, rule six and seven about selling a stock. And I know that becomes a real issue for a lot of people, not only on, hey, I made a profit, do I take some of it? Or, oh my God, this company is tanking, when do I cut my losses? So let's delve into those last two rules. So I'll let you take that away. Sure. Um, the way I, I think first, it's important to look at why did you buy this stock? And as a dividend growth investor, and I think for most people interested in dividend income in general, you bought this you bought this stock, you invested in a company for it to pay you rising dividend income over time. And if it can do that, it's doing what you want. So in general, my philosophy is to sell as infrequently as possible. Uh, with that said, I do have two sell rules because it's not buy a stock and never sell it no matter what happens. And uh, my two sell rules, the first one is called the overpriced rule. And the idea is if a stock becomes extremely overvalued, you're better off to sell it and reinvest that money into a company that's not horrendously overvalued uh, because you'll you'll just do better. Like if an example would be Coca-Cola, I think it was uh, probably 20 years ago. I don't know exactly, but it was trading for a price to earnings ratio well over 40 and you would have been much better off to sell Coca-Cola at that time and invest in pretty much any other dividend growth stock. Or if you look at like the the nifty 50, you know, they had that whole thing in decades ago. You'd have been much better off to sell when a stock's at a price earnings ratio of 40, 50, or 60. There's no way it's going to grow at 30% a year to justify that valuation. So you're much better off to sell. And the, the quantitative rule I have for this is to sell – when the normalized price to earnings ratio is over 40. And to be clear, that's extremely overvalued, and that's why that's the sell rule, because I, I want to generally hold as much as possible and not sell, and there's several reasons for that. But the, the rule I have is to sell if the price to earnings ratio goes over 40. Let, just using Coca-Cola as that example, and I believe it was right around the dot-com boom, 98, 99, that the P ratio did get that high. Would you sell all of the Coke stock, would you sell back to how much you invested in it and say, hey, I'll let the rest of it ride? What Do you have any parameters on that? I would sell all of it because I think the reason for selling is it's overvalued. So why would you only sell half? You should, you know, all your shares are the same. There's The justification is the same. So I would sell all of it. Okay. And what about rule number seven? Rule number seven is... I called the survival of the fittest rule, uh, and it has a good quote by it. It says, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? That's a John Maynard Keynes. But um, the the idea behind this rule is you bought a stock to pay you rising dividend income. If the company cuts its dividend or eliminates its dividend, it's done the exact opposite of what you bought it for. So you should sell it. And the rule is sell when a dividend payment is reduced or eliminated. Very simple and straightforward. Okay. And again, I know you've been investing for not a super long time. You've been investing in, in a bull market pretty much for your professional life here. You, know, you mentioned before uh, in terms of percentages and allocation, 
has there become a time when one of your stocks has become well overweighted and within your portfolio? And what have you done? Did you just say, I didn't get to that PE of 40, I'm still going to hold on? Or did you have to look at the global perspective and say, eh, I, I need to shave back here? Uh, I actually started investing just before the, the market collapse. And uh, I think I started in like mid-2007. So that's really painted my um, in perception of investing is the market can collapse by 50% at any time. That's what happened when I started. Um, so that's kind of my experience on a, a bear market and then the resulting bull market. For me, I, I will hold a stock as long as it's not violating my two cell rules. There's if it grows in value, I haven't had a stock grow so much in value because I'm still saving every month. Where I haven't had a stock that's gone up so much that it's become like forty percent of my portfolio or anything like that. Where I'd need to trim it back. But if it did, like if I have a stock that goes up ten times in value, which you know when you invest in blue chip dividend growth stocks, you're probably not going to see a ten x return in a year. But, you know, hypothetically, assuming that happened, I would trim it back if it was like 40% of my portfolio or something. Okay. So, Ben, we're coming up on time and uh, got a couple of final questions here for you. What is your favorite investment book? What's your favorite leisure book? And annual reports don't count. <laughs> oh, I read annual reports, but anyone who says annual reports are their favorite book, I don't know. But not for me, at least. Um, my favorite. Well, I remember. I remember Peter Lynch saying he used that as his nighttime reading or his uh, bedtime reading. So that's why I always have to throw that caveat in there. Well, for with Peter Lynch, I would definitely believe that. But <laughs> <laughs> anyone else other than him, or maybe Warren Buffett. Um, for me, my favorite book on investing is Quantitative Value by Tobias Carlyle and Wesley Gray. It's a phenomenal book on the power of uh, rule-based investing, and they specifically look at value investing with rules. Uh, it's an excellent read to see all the mistakes you make uh, in your behavior when you're not following rules and how simple rules can create performance that's better than the top value managers. It's a, it's a phenomenal read. I highly recommend it. And my favorite personal or non-investment book it's tough to say. I generally read nonfiction, so I don't read a lot of fiction books. Um, but there's several books that I really liked. Uh, Made to Stick is a great book on um, how to transfer ideas from your head to other people's by Chip and Dan Heath. It's an interesting read. Uh, uh, way back in high school, I loved 1984, the George Orwell classic. Uh, another really good book I like is called Coming Out of the Ice which is the story of um, a man who, he's an Olympic athlete, and he moved to communist Russia in, I think, 1950. By choice, he thought it was going to be phenomenal to live there. Uh, it turns out it wasn't. And it's just, <laughs> it's, uh, just the story of his life and the unbelievable odds he overcame and the amazing strength of his willpower. Interesting. I have not heard of that one coming out of the ice. So let's see. Um, no matter our wealth, we need our health. What do you do to stay healthy mentally and physically? For me, I try to meditate every morning. Uh, I, I try to work out three times a week. And 
I like to go to the park a lot. We in Houston, uh, I think the nicest park is Memorial Park, so I go there quite a bit with my wife, and we'll walk or jog or bike ride. Okay. So Ben, any uh, any closing comments? Anything that you're working on, and uh, where can people find you? Sure, people can find me. The, the best place is at my website, SureDividend.com, and Whenever I send emails to people, I always urge them, ask me questions. You know, if you have comments, let me know. And very few people take advantage of that. And I can't. There's no personalized investment advice because I'm not acting as an investment advisor, but just general questions. Uh, but you find me at SureDividend.com. My work is, it's been on, I write regularly for The Street. Um, I'm syndicated on Seeking Alpha, Value Walk, Insider Monkey, um, and occasionally on Forbes and Yahoo Finance. You can find me at all those places, uh, either under the Sure Dividend name or the Ben Reynolds name. Well, Ben, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and uh, learned learned a great deal in terms of, you know, that I need more discipline in terms of my investing. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. I I commend you at such a young age to have the patience and the wherewithal to stick to the rules that that you created and not deviating from them and that you know in the long run it's going to be successful that way versus taking taking a flyer on something that's you know the yield is extremely tempting and then next thing you know the price has gone down 40% and the yield looks even more tempting until they cut the dividends so Kudos to that, and uh, much success in the future. Thank you, Howie, and same to you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Same to you. I want to thank Ben for being part of the show this week and last week. As a reminder, we're winding down the show and we have just two more episodes. But before then, if you want to join us in the conversation, please find our show notes published by Dr. Dividend on SeekingAlpha.com. Until next week, happy investing. conversations on this podcast are intended as entertainment and not intended to represent individual investment advice. The majority of contributors on this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, so please do your own research and do not buy or sell stocks based primarily on what you've heard today.